Hi there, folks, and welcome. Welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam, again. And this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. So you just show up, click a button that says study now, and the platform will then show you exactly what you need to learn next based on your progression. Now, this may sound simple and in practice it is, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And what they're also unique in is that they teach all of the types of Japanese that you wouldn't normally get in traditional schools or textbooks. And if you've ever studied with one of the more common textbooks that foreigners usually pick up, you've probably noticed that there are a lot of sentences or conversations in there. That you'd never really hear in real life, and vice versa. Some of the stuff you actually hear when you're out and about in Japan is never really covered in these traditional textbooks. So, this isn't the case with Native Shark. It's very well grounded in everyday spoken Japanese, whether it's casual or formal language. And you can really expect, like one of the students writes in their reviews, you can really expect to be picking up the sort of little nuances that no one would expect a non native speaker to use. And that's pretty rare for most Japanese courses. So, yeah, really, really useful platform. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. That's native without an E, so N A T I V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash NTI. Use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So, two weeks free instead of the one. And you can sign up for that free trial without having to put any、uh, credit card or anything of the sort in there. So give it a go, you won't regret it. All right, so we're back with the Clubhouse panel again today. And this one's a really interesting QA session with two particular members of the audience、uh, one living here in Japan and thinking about selling his family home,、mm-hmm. and the other, an investor from the US. And both of them were asking quite a few questions, but the common theme was around the value of properties. And more specifically about the potential gains, or rather the lack of potential gains in property values in Japan. Now, this is always a bit of a brain twister for a lot of people who are not that familiar with the market here, and it's certainly very different to real estate arenas elsewhere in the world. So, I thought it'd be a good idea to share this、uh, snippet of the conversation with you. We also discuss wholesaling, flipping, and other practices that can be a lot more common out of Japan but are not nearly as popular here. And finally, a bit more info on Akia or abandoned homes in the countryside. This topic, too, in particular, seems to be getting very popular. And our last episode, also、uh, from Clubhouse, in which we were first joined by Matt Ketchum, the Akia guru and co founder of Akia Indinaka. So that episode is being downloaded in pretty high volume. So we hear your interest, and we're going to have a full length interview with Matt next week. He's going to be taking,、uh, to the,、uh, coming to the podcast and talking to us here on the show on exactly what it is that he does and how, what the attraction of these properties is and for who exactly, and a lot more. So stay tuned, watch this space. But for now, here's our Clubhouse panel touching mainly, but not only, on the topic of capital appreciation and value increases or lack thereof in Japan's property market. Enjoy, and I'll see you again on the other side. Hi guys. Hey Ziv, it's、uh, Phil and Kobe. How are you? Good. I thought I recognized the name. How are you, man? Pretty good. I'm new to the party, so thank you for welcoming me in here to the clubhouse. It's really cool. I'm getting to know it.、Um, hey, I got a question. You know, we wound up、um, holding on to the home in Kobe and we're living there. And I think I talked to you about this before. We,、uh, 
we bought, we've, you know, we got it for about 4 million uh, yen and we put about seven into it. Um, at what point would you say would be a good point to maybe look at selling or possibly holding on to it for, for a rental for a certain amount of period of time where we would at least get our money back right now? You know, we looked into it, and we probably wouldn't get our money back. We probably lose about three million or something like that. But um, I don't know. You know, if we're going to stay in Japan, still up in the air, that'll probably be decided in the next couple of three years. But uh, just, I mean, I know it's kind of a wide range question, but just what what's your gut on this? Well, I would say that you're you're spot on in, in saying that at the moment I would definitely not sell. It's very much a buyer's market at the moment with um, properties and inventory um, being a bit low. Although Emil has mentioned in uh, some of the past rooms that we've had that um, for owner-occupiers, uh, residential properties, the market is doing quite well now, doesn't it, Emil? Yes, but that's, you know, that's in, like, I, I focus in the Tokyo area, so I don't know what it's like elsewhere and also like the cheapest property i've done is about 45 no 50 55 million yen is probably the cheapest i've done so it's you know it's like five to ten times the the uh, the size of what phil is talking about so even just talking about two or three million yen profit or loss that's 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 just like a almost negligible expense um that's just like agency fees are uh, that kind of price that we're talking about for most of the deal. So I think the scale, what my experience, can't really speak to um, Phil's situation. Yeah, well, I mean, look, Phil, from our experience, um, the money that you've put into the property um, to make it more sort of your dream home is not necessarily uh, the type of capital that would actually raise the value of the property because often those are going to be things that might be appealing to you but not necessarily to uh, anybody else buying them especially if they're cheaper end properties like you're mentioning um, so I would maybe put that um, part of the capital aside and then just see if you're happy getting what you've paid for it originally without the renovation then maybe wait for next year or in a couple of years and try to get rental income until then if you're really looking to get back uh, the full capital so that'll be what 11 million from what you've described um, not sure how doable that would be it would depend on what exactly was the renovation that you have done to it but um, it might be better to in that case just focus on rental income I think okay I appreciate it guys thank you for your, uh, for your opinions yeah uh, I, I am gonna say in general my opinion with renovation and any property is if you're renovating a property it um, you're not going to get a positive gain. Like if you spend 5 million yen of renovations, you're not going to get more than 5 million yen on top in terms of sale price. You're not going to get your money back. And especially if the building is quite old, like if you got it for 4 million, then the, uh, can I ask Philip, what's the age of the building? Yeah, the building's over, it's just a little over 40 years old. It was built in 79. Yeah, so a 40-year-old building it doesn't matter how nice it's been renovated. Whoever buys it next, it's basically land value, right? Um, there may be a, a bit of residual, like, oh, if, it's, if you spent so much and redone the whole thing, they may think, okay, yeah, it's still a livable house, but at the end of the day, it's still a 40-year-old house. Uh, and so it's it's hard to get 
um, residual value in in renovations. Yeah. Um, uh, in in yeah, for for any kind of well, for any for buildings that age, especially in Japan. In the right, West, yeah. of course, they they do hold it a bit more, but anyone who sees a forty year old building is going to consider it um, land value only. I'm assuming that's Even a wooden structure, right, Phil? Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much fully depreciated by now, um, almost uh, double the depreciation life cycle. So, yeah, uh, like Emil was saying, people would be buying it for land value. Kobe specifically is a good place to be shopping in a normal time. So you could come maybe a little bit closer to what you put into it um, in a couple of years' time, but definitely not at the moment yet. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll hang in there. I appreciate it. I also just wanted to point out, I think, you know, we haven't, since we paid cash and we don't have a mortgage or interest in any of that, I also wanted to factor in to make myself feel better that I haven't paid rent or a mortgage payment in like nearly three years now. So that makes me feel a little bit better. But one, one other thing though is if you can rent it out, so it's hard to sell with, with that residual value in the, in the building. But if it's livable, and it sounds like you spent quite a bit on making it, so it should be quite quite a nice place, right? Uh, you right. could rent it out, and the rent will be have more upside than selling, like the rental return versus the actual market value of the property. So I feel, yeah, you could actually have um, make it decent rent, rental return, whereas if you sell it, it's going to be land value only. You yeah, I'd say like, uh, like an old car in that case, just ride it till it drops kind of thing. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Um, so, look, Matt's, Matt's come back. Uh, so, Matt, yeah, are you able to uh, to um, have a uh, yeah to, to explain sort of what you do? Or you sort of yeah, um, I'll try to do that and then probably jump off because I'm I'm actually on the way back from Yamagata right now and have an incredibly unreliable uh, connection. Uh, so, can you hear me still? Yes. Go ahead. Loud and clear. Okay, that, that's good. Although, yeah, let's. So, uh, I run a company called Aki and Inaka, uh with my co-founder, who can't be here today, but Parker, and we focus on kind of what the what the name sounds like, Akia, aka the abandoned houses uh, that everybody's probably heard about for the last I don't know six or so years, um, and also with more rural reaches of demand. So, I mean, we have dabbled in Tokyo, Kobe, um, kind of those areas, but really we're, we're working with the spots that nobody else wants to work with. <laughs> uh, so we do, we certainly do a good bit of um, kind of off the beaten path work, but we started about a year, not even actually, um, ago after quite a while kind of dabbling um, in really just trying to track down what the hell is going on with all of these apparently free houses. Uh, and so what we initially determined was, all right, yeah, like most of them are complete shit. You don't want to touch them. But that's not all of them, right? And it actually kind of depends on who you are. You might be a carpenter or something like that who has an interest in a very kind of dilapidated building side project. Um, so, yeah, very long story short, uh, we deal with the uh, abandoned buildings of Japan's countryside. And things are actually going pretty, pretty well. And I just got to go. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so, yeah, everyone, please do follow Matt. Um, we do this room weekly, uh, Wednesdays at one thirty. So, um, and Matt um, jumps in and out, like, you know, 
when he can. So please do feel free to jump in and ask any questions or reach out to Matt um, via his, if you go into his uh, bio, you see he's got both Twitter and Instagram. So, and his uh, web links as well, uh, akiyanata.com. So you can reach out to him through one of those uh, um, channels as well. Let's move on to Jesse. Hey, Jesse, thanks for coming up. What's your question? Hey, hey, uh, guys. Uh, thanks for uh, let me ask questions. So, uh, I'm very curious because I'm I'm, I'm moving from room to room on the uh, clubhouse, and I saw your uh, the title of the room, and uh, I'm very interested. So, I have been to Japan uh, twice, and uh, I, you know, my. Uh, here, here I'm in Houston, Texas, so uh, I do quite a bit of fix flips. Uh, just buy those rundown houses, fix them up, and they either turn them into rental or sell them. So when I was in Japan, uh, I met several peoples. Uh, just a question for for them, but they seems to be not able to answer. Or maybe my, you know, uh, it's lost in the translation. Uh, so my question is in Japan. Um, before I even ask any, you know, more specific things, just in general, if I buy, if I purchase a property, uh, what are the common uh, building costs? Like in in here in Texas, uh, we the major items doesn't matter how you treated this house, you're going to pay property tax, you're going to pay uh, homeowners insurance. Those are major costs. So, what are the major costs for? Uh, owning a property in Japan. So, you you touched on two of them, the asset tax and the insurance. But then you're also going to need to pay for um, the man, uh, management fee to a a management company, a real estate agent, to get your tenants and manage your tenants. Okay, so that's usually one month when a new tenant comes, it's one month leasing fee. So one month of the rent, the agent will take as a lease. You have to pay the agent as a leasing fee. And then um, standard is 5%. So 5% of the monthly rent is taken by the agent as a management fee, which I think is pretty pretty reasonable um, uh, compared to, uh, I'm, I'm Australian and that's sort of standard rate in Australia as well. Um, and then for the, apart, for the apartment itself, in Japan, the, large condos they're called mansions so maybe you've experienced that uh, like heard that or not but yeah so when we talk about a mansion basically that's a condo um condominium apartment so uh and when you own a an apartment in a condo it you need to pay management fee so that's because there's a management company that manages the building that's the equivalent of a hoa in the states okay uh, and the other one is the uh, that, thanks Eve. and the other cost is the uh, sinking fund or the repair fund. So any building maintenance or the scheduled, you know, um, pipe cleaning or exterior maintenance that happens every few years, few years, etc. Um, that that's paid separately um, and monthly. So, for example, um, you know, you might pay a management fee of ten thousand yen a month for the management company. And then also another 10,000 yen a month for the repair fund. Okay. And that, and every, all the owners of the, of the apartments in the mansion have to pay that. And that just, that's a, that accrues. And when maintenance needs to be done, 
the management company coordinates the maintenance, but they, they pay for it with the sinking fund um, cost. So they're, they're the four, they're the four, sorry, the five big ones. The tax, the insurance, building management fee, building maintenance fee, and the uh, agent management fee. I'll just add to that a little bit, uh, if I can, Emil. So I would say that the insurance is probably um, lower or maybe even a lot lower than what you're used to in the States. So if you take, for example, uh, a typical cash cow, which in Japan is usually a studio or a one-bedroom apartment, uh, let's say up to 25 or 30 square meters, so the homeowner's uh, insurance or the landlord insurance portion of that is uh, usually something like 200 or $300 for a five-year natural disaster policy. And then if you also want to cover um, a case of a tenant potentially dying in the property, which can happen uh, more often than uh, in other countries because the population here is old, that's another 30 to $50 a year. So all up, you're looking at less than $100, $120 a year uh, in insurance. So it's probably uh, much lower than what you'd be paying in the States for memory. Are you saying $120 US dollars a year? Yes, but bear in mind that your rental income for these cash cows could be as low as $200 a month or $300 a month, depending on which city or uh, which location you're purchasing in. So it, it is a lot lower than the States, but the rental income is also a lot lower. Uh, also, um, I don't know what the homeowner's insurance in the U.S. covers, but uh, homeowner's insurance in Australia will also cover delinquencies. So if the tenant... Um, uh, leaves without paying rent, okay, or just refuses to pay rent, the homeowner's insurance actually covers that, whereas in Japan, that's not covered. That is a separate policy that the tenant, it's one of the three types of securities that it, you can ask from a tenant, uh, one of these would be rent insurance, or a guarantee company as they call it here, so in many cases, that portion of you, you can definitely, and you should definitely uh, get insured for that as well, but in many cases that's going to be on the tenant, especially if they can't provide other securities. Right, got it. Um, what is the amount for the property tax? Emil or me? Who, who takes this one? <laughs> uh, you, you can see. Okay, Sorry. so um, property tax here, um, there's a big difference between properties that are under 200 square meter in size and those that are over 200 square meters in size. So for the um, smaller properties, and if you're talking about investment properties, most of them would be under 200 square meter, actually a lot less. Uh, in those cases, you, uh, you get a discount of anywhere between a quarter to half the price. So for properties under 200 square meter in size, the property tax, again, if it's a condo unit, which is usually the most popular asset class for investment, is usually going to be anywhere between three quarters or all the way up to maybe one and a half percent of the purchase price per annum. And if it's two, uh, if it's above two hundred square meters, it could be as much as double that. Realistically, you won't have a two hundred square meter. Um, yeah, very very unlikely if you're going to buy investment properties. Mm. Yeah, making sense totally. 
what is the cash flow? Well, I should say this. Assuming with all those costs and those uh, cash call properties, uh, let's say I'm assuming one month's vacancy. I don't know if that's reasonable or not. Um, one month's vacancy per 12 months. What is the uh, cash on cash you can expect? Well, that would really depend. When you say cash or cash on cash, you're usually referring to. Let's assuming I don't have mortgage loan. I pay cash for. The property. If you're paying full cash, then depending on location, there's a huge variance uh, in locations in Japan. So, Tokyo would usually, if we're talking about net pre-tax, so including all of your purchase and running costs, but putting aside um, the cost of unknowns like your individual income or corporate tax situation and uh, maintenance and so forth. You're probably looking in Tokyo and Osaka between three to five percent at best. In the 2020, we did occasionally see six percent because the market has been a bit softer during uh, during the pandemic. But usually three to five percent in Tokyo and Osaka, and in other cities, uh, which could be big cities, just not as familiar to the international crowd. It could go maybe up to seven, eight percent if you're lucky and net pre-tax. That's, that's not bad. That's almost in line with what we see in Texas, those kind of numbers. Yeah, and I mean, look, the advantages and disadvantages are numerous. So in, I don't know specifically about Texas, but in the States, you could usually factor in some appreciation as a rule unless a crisis hits. In Japan, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't bank on any capital growth. Um, as Phil's question just then just probably demonstrated. And um, the uh, upside, though, is that the tenants, uh, even in the low income levels, which again are the cash cows, uh, even at those levels, the tenants are virtually hassle-free. And the professional companies that you work with are usually, even if they're not super professional, um, they're usually very... Um, very by the book and reliable. No one's going to swindle you and run off with your money and go out of business and leave you uh, hanging there. So there are advantages. And one of the main advantages, um, I'm not sure what the situation is in Texas at the moment, but um, aside from Tokyo and Osaka, properties in Japan are very, very affordable. So there are still places where you can buy um, high yielding, well, as high as we've just mentioned, um, individual condo units for as little as 50, 60,000 bucks, which I think is not an option in the States. Yeah, it's so. If you're talking about the property in Tokyo, uh, cash flows that's kind of unheard of. If we if we compare it to, let's say New York City, uh, the pretty much nothing in New York City cash flows. Yeah, similar uh, similar market. Yeah, that's interesting. So you are saying Japan, we should not expected the price to appreciate not as a strategy it's great if it happens and we have had a few good years um between say 2012 to 2000 late 2017 18 um but that's on the back of two and a half decades of deflation and because the population and the workforce is shrinking here on the macro level i mean they're growing in the big cities but they're um, declining in the smaller townships so Generally speaking, on the macro level, Japan's uh, workforce is declining, which means that um, 
there's a limit to how much economic growth you can expect here. So it's very much a cash flow market with any appreciation if and when it occurs being sort of icing on the cake. Right. I, yeah, that, that, that's good analysis. So um, in, in, uh, in the States, in, uh, we have a lot of people call themselves uh, wholesalers. I'm not sure you're familiar with this concept. Yep. Uh, those are the people you know, looking for the people, you know, looking for the homeowners who are in distress situations, try to get the house very, very cheap, um, and they, they sell it. And they add on some money and they sell to the and the investors. Uh, are those things happening in Japan? Not as frequently in the States. So there are a few reasons for that. One of them is the fact that um, because the government here wanted to discourage uh, speculation and they've succeeded to uh, quite a substantial degree. So they've put in a double capital gains tax for anyone who offloads a property within five years from purchase unless they're a registered real estate uh, company. So you would occasionally uh, see wholesalers and short sailors and um, flippers, but these would usually be professional companies that are registered and licensed and do this for a living. It's not really worth your while because of the taxes and because that you may because of the fact that you may not have uh, the connections in place if you're not doing it full time to do um, affordable renovations and so forth. So it's very much uh, uh, a niche market here. It's not nearly as popular as it is in other countries. So. Uh, on, on that, just to follow up to that. So what we have is there are renovation companies like they. That's what they, like they. That's what they do. The flip. So they purchase properties cheaply, um, and often those properties never go to market. So it will be a seller who, not necessarily distressed, but just doesn't want to go through the wholesale process and have people come to their house regularly, etc. So. Um, when they want to sell their property and to an agent, and they, they they'll go to an agent and they say we want to sell it, and depending on their urgency, how quick and how much headache, then uh, they could say, look, I know the agent can say, look, I know a company that can purchase it right away in cash without worrying about financing and all the viewing, etc. But it's at a significant discount, and so the those properties never really come to market. Um, they're not really distressed as such, but they are kind of, you know, they probably could think of them almost in that matter. That manner, the seller just wants to get rid of it and is willing to do it at a discount. So the renovation company will purchase it at a below market price, and then they'll do a renovation of it at a wholesale, at a wholesale renovation cost, because that's what they do, and then they'll sell it. Um, and that's basically the flip that happens. It doesn't really work with individuals, though. Individuals can't get access to the same deals they can't get access to the same level of uh you know quick financing right um or don't have that cash readily available and the renovation they can't get renovation done cheaply uh the, the same way that a renovation company does so uh and so that means that the the total cost base has cost more than what a renovation company could do could get it for so and then you if you try to sell it you're going to be competing at selling a similar property similar square meter size property in a similar building with a renovation company that has done everything cheaper than you. So you can't match their sort of pricing. Um, so the, the flip by individuals doesn't really happen. 
Yeah, the bo bottom line, it's not really a side hustle thing is uh, here. There are companies that do that uh, as their main line of business. But if you're talking about a private investor who does this sort of thing for some extra profit, that's not really a thing here. Mm. That's kind of opposite than uh, in, in the United States. Um, the the fixed group most, yeah, fix mostly is a mom-pop operation. The, the big co big corporation don't have the efficiency actually to do this thing right. I guess in Japan that's that's a totally different world, and I can't imagine why. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah, a lot of things here are, are very counterintuitive, and uh, not just in that aspect. I mean, as far as tenants go and the lengths of vacancy and how much people want to own a home. Uh, rather than rent a place, um, at least on a certain income levels and so forth. So the, the fundamentals of how things work uh, practically are similar, but the, um, the underlying forces and the, the profit drivers are quite different here. They can be quite counterintuitive. Um, can we, uh, let's, uh, I just want to do a quick room reset. Okay, it's two o'clock. We've been here for half an hour and uh, we run this room every Wednesday for about uh, an hour or so. It's a foreigner's guide to buying real estate in Japan. Uh, I'm a real estate agent. My name's Emil. I'm a real estate agent here in Tokyo. Um, my work is to help uh, foreigners and uh, mixed families. So you know, often one spouse is Japanese, one spouse is foreign. Um, and it's helped families purchase their own family home, personal home in Tokyo, so not an investment property. And we also act as a mortgage broker. So we have direct connections with the loan officers at the mega banks in Japan. So we can also, so I'm also very familiar with uh, um, how to get financing for foreigners with different types of residency situation, marital situation, um, employment situation, etc. So any questions you have regarding purchasing your own home, uh, the purchase process, the financing process, feel free to ask. Um, and Ziv to my right is a buyer's advocate for um, both residents but also non-residents who are interested in investing in Japan, so investment properties anywhere from you know, fifty thousand, forty thousand US dollars, uh, even cheaper, up to um, up to much larger. I think does management, and Matt on my far right um, does Akia. So the uh, vacant uh, sort of vacant properties in uh, rural areas, well um, outside of the major cities, uh, that maybe you've heard about that are sold very cheaply. So he helps source those and do the due diligence um, for those. So any questions you have regarding that? please feel free to uh, push the hand raise icon at the bottom of your screen and you can come up and ask. We'll be here for another 30 minutes. If uh, there is some like, sometimes you have personal information or personal situation you feel not comfortable uh, doing on this uh, public forum, please feel free to reach out to any of us on uh, our um, uh, the direct messaging platforms we have linked in our bio. So in my case, Twitter or Instagram. Um, Ziv as well, Twitter, Instagram, and I think he also likes LinkedIn. And Matt as well has information on his bio. So yeah, please do do feel free. One more thing, this room, if you see in the title, is recorded. Ziv has a podcast that he does uh, well, every week and he turns this particular uh, um, uh, discussion as well into a podcast. So by being here, you also acknowledge that uh, you will you accept this podcast, uh, this being recorded, being put as a podcast. Um, and if not, if you think you said something, and we didn't announce it earlier, if you think you said something and you don't want to it to be there, please let Ziv know and he can cut that out. Um, but yeah, feel free to, yeah, again, if you don't want to mention anything, reach out to us directly. We've got Adam on the stage. Thanks for coming up.
Hello, Emil. How you doing, Adam? Uh, Good, how are you? Very well, thank you for coming up. What's your question, mate? So, uh, I have a question regarding Akia. Uh, I'm an Egyptian, living in Japan for about uh, nine years now. And uh, I have built uh, my own hotel in uh, Egypt. And it was like an investment. Someone have the land, uh, someone... Um, and me, I've built the, the, the building and, and, you know, uh, brought the staff and the, the everything. And we now working not so well because of Corona, but we're there and we had a good winter season. So I am looking forward, uh, maybe same opportunity in Japan, but don't know how to reach it. Like someone have has a, a house or a land and want to uh, make a project like a guest house or a small hotel or like this so I'm not sure where to look for this if you have any advice I'll be so much appreciated um, yeah Adam those are all good questions and to start off with it's absolutely feasible they're kind of everywhere um, you know I, I could point to Minakami up in Gunma I could point to Yugawara in the easy region of Kanagawa over in Omaegasaki in Shizuoka um, really, these, these pensions is really kind of what you're looking for, um, are quite frequent, quite often, relatively cheap to pick up. I would say they probably go for normally between 8 and 15 million yen. Uh, that's not to say that they will go for that much. Maybe they'll be under it, maybe they'll be over it, but generally speaking, 8 to 15 um, seems to be a pretty comfortable uh, area for those places to uh, get into. Um, so far as spinning them up into uh, kind of guest house, share house, sort of things like that, um, really it's just a matter of getting reg registration either for Minbaku or Minshuku uh, use, which is kind of the difference between are you going to be doing it on the weekends or are you kind of trying to do it full time. Um, but that's really kind of the, so far as the registration is concerned, that's more or less what you need to do to get them functioning. Of course, there's, you know, fire um, and everything that goes into that. But, um, yeah, the, the properties are out there. I'm working with a number of people right now uh, in a number of different cities who are spinning, who are doing exactly what it is you've asked about. Um, so it's technically doable. It's actually doable. Um, and usually it doesn't cost more than, you know, I'd say about 150 U.S. Um, but that's usually not all the time. I would maybe just add to that, Adam, that you really want to look, because of the Minpaku and Minshuku regulations and compliance here, and Matt can elaborate on that, uh, you really want to make sure that you've got the um, either the staffing or the management company uh, accessible to actually run the places. That might be one of the biggest challenges in the uh, Inaka, in the countryside. A lot of the places we're working right now are really pretty much a family operation. Um, so depending on how big, again, a lot of these things depend on, you know, exactly what the circumstances you are operating in. Uh, but there are uh, quite a few, um, you know, either solo or more or less family operations that are also uh, kind of getting their business going at the moment. But yes, to, to the point, if you do intend on having staff and management companies involved, you should definitely be <laughs> speaking with them as well. So there you have it, another Clubhouse Q&A panel, really good questions and pretty good answers, I thought, as well. Hope you found value in it. And again, we're on Clubhouse every Wednesday, 1.30 p.m. Japan time, the Japan Real Estate Room in the Japan Real Estate Club. 
feel free to join us if you're free. We'd love to have a chat with you and answer any questions that you might have. And who knows, you might even end up being featured here on the podcast. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you are already in Japan on some sort of a more temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, and also if you're considering setting up a local company or branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiry, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners and our clients. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com, all one word, and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, wherever you're tuning in from. Or just drop us a line in the comments section or wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoshiku. Yoshiku.